and welcome back to the Nautic Ed podcast. Today we have something a little different for you. Uh, Amy and David, they call them the Star Chasers. They're the crew of Starry Horizons and uh, they run a website called OutChasingStars.com. Now they're not website operators. These are people that have finished a circumnavigation around the world, of course. I mean, how else do you circumnavigate? Uh, not going around the moon. So these guys were the very first to record that entire journey on YouTube. Uh, and I'll let them talk more about their YouTube channel here in a minute. But uh, on behalf of myself, Captain Kev, and Grant, the founder of Nautic Ed, I'd like to say welcome. Um, and maybe, Grant, you can you know, give us a little more. Well, yeah, thanks, Kevin. I mean, these guys have done it, and that's what we want to bring to everybody. And how do you do it? And, um, and they've done it in a really fun way. And what they've done is done a lot of good recording of data and, and how they do it and what happened here and what happened there and their stories and everything so uh, yeah i want to listen to the story so let, let's start rolling with it well, <laughs> welcome david and amy thanks oh, guys thanks, good guys. to be here thank you for having us well we're really glad you're here you are actually the first youtube celebrities that we've had on our podcast so it's <laughs> a special day for us well wow, making us feel real special over here yeah, and you did it. Uh, your circumnavigation aboard uh, Helia Forty Four is that right? That is correct. Yeah. Is it just the two of you that, that that went around yourselves? It is. It has been just the two of us for about ninety-seven percent of the time. We had one passage where my uncle came to visit us, but everything else was just the two of us. So we well, made a lot of miles. I, I got to throw in another shout out. My brother did come with <laughs> us for a passage as well. So it's just been kind of friends and family that have come visit us. We haven't taken on any crew. Part of that was uh, our desire was we wanted to do this circumnavigation with the two of us. So we set out to do that and pretty much did. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that begs the question. You know, I mean, the first question is, what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> We're still not entirely sure of that, uh, to be honest. Uh, this, this was all David's idea. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm to blame. Actually, I, I have no sailing background. My family um, doesn't really do much on the water, but Amy's family definitely did. So when I met her, she was the one who kind of put the sailing bug in me. And, uh, you know, I was working that nine to five desk job sitting there and like, there's got, there's got to be something different out there. And so I found a blog, and this is kind of an old school blog. I don't know if people, a lot of people haven't heard of it, but it's the Bum Fuzzles. And these guys sold everything, bought a boat, sailed around the world, and were one of the first people to blog about it. And I was like, if those guys can do it, we can do it. So that it kind of got us in motion. And that was back before you know, YouTube sailing channels were really a thing. I think, uh, I think maybe there were just a handful of channels back in the day, back when we started. Yeah. So there wasn't a whole lot out there for examples, but it was just, you know, the idea was the world is such a big, beautiful place and what's a fun way to get to go see it. And sailing is just an amazing way to go see places that you, you chance can't get to other than on a sailboat. Yeah, absolutely. So what you did was you said, forget the regular landlocked life, uh, we're going afloat. And at that point, you, you did what? I owned a business at the time and David was working in finance. So we kind of had several steps that we took and my business was in the maritime industry. I had several boats um, that were um, dinner cruise boats. So it was like a private event venue company basically. And so we took a lot of steps. David and I both got our captain's license, um, 100 ton mariners, and David came to work for me. We started selling off our stuff. I um, 
sold the business and and we bought the boat. So, you know, it, it was a it was a big transition to make and we know that a lot of people spend time working and saving up money and then buying their boat and we had we had quite a few pieces to put together to to be able to make it work. Right. And I think that's the that's part of the compelling story here is that you had to make certain sacrifices in your life to follow this dream. Uh, and, you know, I think I know the answer already, but, you know, we'll skip to the end slightly. Was, <laughs> it, was it worth it? Absolutely. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, we, we've always said the hardest part was being gone away from family and friends for that long. Um, but just the, the opportunities we had to, to sail and see, as I said, some of those absolutely amazing places. The other sailors that we've met have been lifelong dear friends now. And the cultures we got to visit, the people we met, I mean, just the entire experience was incredible. It's well, been such a unique thing to do. And I think we've, especially now that we've circumnavigated, we've got this real sense of accomplishment. and. And that's, that's been big for us to have this goal and to complete this goal that we wanted to do. Well, I mean, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, the, I think the first thing that comes to people's mind is, well, how long does that take? How long does it take to sail around the world? Well, our, As long or short as you want. As long or short as you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we ended up starting and ending our circumnavigation in Antigua. So the process for us to get our boat and get to Antigua took us about a year and a half. And then we left Antigua in December of 2015. And we arrived back in Antigua in March of 2020. So it was actually four years and three months to sail around the world for us. And so that meant you must have had a few great stops along the way. You know, you didn't try to rush a world record or something. You went for the adventure of it. Yeah, and it's been really amazing to meet so many cruisers along the way. And you meet people who are, for example, doing the world arc and they're seeing the world in 15 months. And then you see, meet people who are finishing their circumnavigation in 15 years. And, um, you know... We, we recognize that our four years and three months is a fairly moderate pace, but we still still feel like it was too fast, which is amazing. Yeah, there's so many places to see, you know, going through the South Pacific, there's so many islands you want to visit, but uh, at the same time, you have to be cognizant of weather, so you have to kind of keep ahead of like the cyclone and hurricane seasons. You have this vision that, oh, sailing is just freedom and cruising around the world is, you go wherever you want, but that's not quite the case, but there's still a lot of fun places to go see. Guys, that's Grant just jumping in here. So um, I'm just gonna wanna talk about the route a little bit. So you started in Antigua and then you probably went through the Panama and then out into the Pacific and went on from there. Is that is that the route that you took? Yeah, that's correct. So we, we went through the Caribbean. I think we spent about three months in the Caribbean our first time around, went through the Panama Canal, uh, made a quick stop in the Galapagos. We did the, we ended up doing two seasons in the South Pacific. We just loved it so much. We felt we had to go back. Um, we did our two stops in the South Pacific for the cyclone seasons was down in New Zealand and then over in Australia. And then from Australia, we went up through Indonesia, then Southeast Asia, Thailand, did the Indian Ocean routes, went over to like Sri Lanka, Chagos, the Maldives, Seychelles, down to Madagascar. They went around South Africa and back up the Atlantic to Brazil and then up to the Caribbean and Antigua and crossed that wake. 
Well, there you go. That's that's four years. That was pretty quick. Um, so and I, I think um, a lot of people don't realize. Um, so you're at whenever you're doing all this, you're moving yourself based on um, seasonal weather conditions and you know hurricane typhoon type system so you have to get out of the zone at certain times and then you can come back into the zone so i imagine most people what they do is they head south down to new zealand um, to get out of the hurricane uh, typhoon sort of zone and you hang out there for a while and then you go back into the pacific so yeah the predominant thing as you said is the cyclone or hurricane season so for example in the south pacific our first year we were up around the equator in french polynesia and then making our way, you, you're basically passing through the temperate climates, through the trade winds to get south for cyclone season. And then for our second season, we went up from New Zealand back into the trade winds and then had to aim for coming back down in Australia by the next cyclone season. And then, and then you have a season like we did in Southeast Asia where we're leaving the south and we're headed up to the equator again. And so we've got a, a deadline to get north of, for us, I think it was eight degrees south. Um, so we've got to get, we've got to get closer and closer towards the equator by our deadline. So yeah, it is, it can be really limiting, especially when you're trying to make some massive miles from east to west, uh, like you do have to do in quite a few cases. How stressful. I mean, come on. <laughs> <Staying> <laughs> right yeah, that's what I was saying. That's kind of the one thing that was a little bit, I won't say disappointing, but a bit surprising to me. Just the fact that, you know, our, our we were sailing around the world and we had all this freedom of where to go, but there was definitely still a schedule that you had to meet in order to be able to get from one place to another in time to, you know, beat the hurricane season or stay out of the hurricane season. So there was a lot of kind of more route planning involved around the weather uh, and not just, you know, the the daily weather, but kind of the overall weather system and patterns that you really had to keep in mind for your overall schedule. And did you use a professional service where you um, subscribe to, where they um, keep you up to date on the weather systems and, and things like that? We used a professional weather router for our first couple passages all the way across the Atlantic. And uh, we had done a couple like weather courses and stuff beforehand, which was really useful. But uh, I wanted that little extra comfort and cushion to have someone helping us out for the first first few steps. And what I was doing was at the same time they were telling me what they were seeing, I was also downloading weather myself. So I could kind of see like, okay, I can see what they're talking about here. This is really like hitting home after all those, you know, the practice and courses and stuff. Um, and after those few passages, I felt comfortable enough to tackle um, weather routing and planning myself, which, um, is, is a big challenge and task, but, um, you know, it can be done. But we also use Predict Wind now, um, which was a change that we made, I think, when we were in the Indian Ocean. We started using it regularly to work with our with our own personal forecasting. Yeah, and that's a that's a Kiwi company as well, right? So, um, yes, the innovation of Kiwis, I'm, you know. I'm a Kiwi, so I'm always always pushing this. Well, let, let's t touch on New Zealand then a little bit. Um, talk about the, the sailing ground. I know it's absolutely awesome, but I want um, you guys to talk about it as well. You want other people to back it up on this one? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We, I mean, New Zealand is one of our top three countries. We absolutely loved it. Um, we didn't sail as much as we probably would have liked to, but we did buy a car and drive around the country. So nice. Starry Horizons was on the hard for, I think we were gone for about five weeks. 
and you know we just we just drove absolutely everywhere. So Starry Horizons got down as far as Fongaray, yeah. but then when we got back from our road trip, we spent I think I think we spent about a month cruising the Bay of Islands Bay up of north, Islands. Yeah. which was phenomenal. Just so incredibly gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, I've sailed that um, many times, and uh, you know the great thing about Bay of Islands is you take a fishing rod with you, and you <laughs> drop the line over the side, and within probably ten seconds or five seconds, you've got yourself a fish. Um, and... Well, Grant, I, I hate to say this, but um, David and I, you've hit on a sore spot. We are not. We are terrible. We are fishermen. terrible fishermen. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, you know, we just had a problem. I, We'd had a problem for a long time of hooking fish that were bigger than we wanted to catch. And uh, we lost a lot of lures that way, and it was a struggle. <laughs> so it's been it's been kind of a um, – it's been not as fruitful as we would like it to be, unfortunately. <laughs> well, come out with me. I'll teach you some. Ah, that I, sounds wonderful. We could, we could use an instructor, I think. Totally. <laughs> well, not to pivot away from uh, the wonderful Kiwi land there, uh, <laughs> But you mentioned it was one of your top three. You know, what are the other two? We talked about it a lot when we finished our circumnavigation, and the easy winner is French Polynesia. And I, I know since we've departed, it's had a bit more difficulties now in terms of anchoring restrictions and um, other things. But we spent the entire 90 days that we could in French Polynesia, um, a month in the Marquesas, two weeks in the Tuamotas, which was far too short, and then six weeks in the societies. And just when you're talking about the picturesque South Pacific Atoll, that is the Tuamotas of French Polynesia, the lush jungle mountain islands. That is the Marquesas of Tum, uh, the Marquesas of French Polynesia, and we were really pleasantly surprised with Bora Bora. You know, we were concerned the hype would be so big, but it is so intensely beautiful, and the water is so clear. And we had such a great time swimming with manta rays and lemon sharks. And so French Polynesia just really stands out for us as one of those places that we would love to go back to. So what was what was so enchanting about it besides the scenery? I mean, did this was there adventures you guys took on shore? Did you just sail around the islands? You know, you you mentioned this was about the, the kind of the spirit of adventure for you guys. So do do you spend a lot of time on shore in the the landfalls that you reach? I I think we spend a fairly moderate amount of time on shore as cruisers go. In French Polynesia, we did things like um, we rented a car for a day with friends and. Uh, we're looking for tiki's. I, was this uh, Nukahiva? I think it was. I think so. Yeah. You I know, just getting lost in the jungle, trying to find our way around the island when we don't really speak French. So trying to figure out where we are, where we're going, that's definitely an adventure. <laughs> but uh, you know, when you find yourself just like coming out of this little clearing in the jungle, and there's the tiki you're looking for, and that was a pretty special moment. But um, I will say, like, it was a bit surprising for me that. Sailing is not going to be quite as good about getting into land and exploring as you might think, just because yeah. you're limited via access. You know, you have your dinghy, you can get to the beach pretty easily, but if you want to get inland, it's generally a, a much more difficult thing to do. So, 
And so one of the reasons we loved New Zealand so much is we were there for long enough that we could buy a car, we could tour around. We did the same sort of thing in Australia because we spent a cyclone season there. Uh, we didn't, Australia's a little bit bigger than New Zealand, so we didn't actually buy a car, but flying around and doing some road trips and stuff, those were kind of our really big opportunities to get out and explore a country. But looking back at French Polynesia, we did have a lot of opportunities to meet local people and experience the culture. They have a um, dance festival called the Havas, and we attended the one in Huahini, and it's all traditional costume and music and dancing, which was fabulous. But we also got to meet people. Uh, I actually wrote an article for Cruising World about meeting this guy, Paul, in Huahini, who is um, deaf and mute. and. He paddles up to our boat and gives us gifts, and he offers it. And he's totally non-commutative, so we're just using hand gestures. And he's inviting us to shore, and he takes me on a trip around his motu. And it was, an it was such a beautiful moment in terms of interacting with local people. And the Polynesians have a, such an amazing, strong culture that makes it. You know, just it, it's such a nice compliment to the absolute beauty that they have, and it is a very remote place. And so they've still managed to hold on to that culture really well. That's one of the gifts that cruising really gives us, isn't it? It's the ability to interact with cultures we're not familiar with and make friends across those cultural lines because there are friends to be made. I mean, these are generally very good people. You find great islands, you find welcoming hearts. It's, uh, it's the thing that inspires you to do it again. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, well, getting to these places is half the battle, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the big thing. Like, there are so many amazing places we went to, in French Polynesia specifically, but all over the world as well. And you think about people who are trying to fly in, and hardly anybody flies into the Marquesas or the, the Tuamotos. They are, they are just not on people's radar because it is so hard to get to. You know, and speaking of hard to get to, I'm sure that you guys have got kind of your top 10 list of like craziest things that happened under passage. <laughs> you want to so, limit it to 10? We could be here for hours. About all. Yeah. So maybe we could do like the top, you know, couple here, you know, so, you know, what are the, what are those moments that stand out in your mind, you know, when you're crossing, you know, the, the diversity that comes up that you have to overcome along the way? Well, first of all, I would like to tell everyone that the Bermuda Triangle is real. Yeah, I knew that was going to be the <laughs> <Yeah>. first story. <laughs> this is this is still one of my absolute favorites. So we um, we had when we left Florida after we did all the commissioning in the boat, we went up to Canada, we went to Maine, and then we we're coming back down towards the Caribbean, and we stopped in Bermuda, which was a great time. But to get from Bermuda, we went down to the British Virgin Islands, and we had departed Bermuda, and I think we were about twenty hours out. Um, it was our first night out at sea and I'm waking up in the morning and all of a sudden all of our instruments go offline completely. So like um, we still had GPS because the chart plotter had its own internal GPS, but the radar was gone. The autopilot was gone. All of the depth sounder, all of these things. The gone. instruments gone. Yeah. yeah. So none of them are working. And, you know, it's just the two of us on the boat. So if all of our autopilot and everything is not working, that's a pretty big problem. So I had to go down, I woke up Amy, I was like, Amy, I need you to come up here. We're gonna have to hand steer for a while and I have to tear the boat apart trying to figure out what's going on with all these things. Um, and there was another big like um, 
It was probably an 80 foot beautiful oh, sailing yacht. I think it's yacht. bigger than that. I think it was yeah. 120, 130 foot sailing yacht yeah, for our starboard you know, side. Flying past us. So we called them up on the radio and we said, hey, does you guys have anyone who knows like Raymarine gear that might help us troubleshoot? And they're like, well, actually, we're really sorry, but all of our crew is down below because we're taking on water right now. So, <laughs> yeah. so it was like, well, at least all of our boats is not sinking, but do you guys need help? So uh, that was fun. And eventually I was able to figure out that one of our connectors had a hairline crack in it. And as soon as I unplugged that from our transducer, everything came back online and we were good to go. But there was a few moments there where it was just like, do we need to like turn around and try to motor back to Bermuda or are we good to go like six I mean, more days in the ocean? Like, what are we doing here? David's being very uh, minimalist there. It was like hours that we were working on this yeah. and we had these discussions like, do we turn around and we're going to have to beat back into the wind to get to Bermuda or do we keep going knowing that we may have four days where we're hand steering and we're going to be exhausted, but but we can always hope to, we can always deploy our seeing anchor. Is that, is that how we want to handle this? You yeah. know? And you know, in, in those moments, like it is, I, I've heard other people say it, it's that calm kind of descends over you. you really just, you cannot just freak out. You have to take what's given to you, figure out what are your best options in those moments and make the best of it. And that's, to me, that's the sailing life kind of in a nutshell. Like you just have to figure it out. There's no way you're going to know everything do everything you can be to be prepared absolutely but there are still going to be things that happen that you just have no idea what's coming to you so grant this is where you talk a lot about competence well it, and it is right so it's we have a, a saying it's competence confidence and and calm right we do throw that word calm in there we think that's very 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 important um and it's exactly what david just touched on right so um you've got to remain calm um, but that's really hard, right, to remain calm when, when it's not, uh, when it's a situation that you, you don't know anything about. So, but if you've got the competence um, and the confidence, then that's going to help you keep calm. And so and that comes from education and it comes from experience. So, um, you know, we, we, we want people to sail around the world. We want people to have these kind of experiences, but we want you to go out there and, and get the education, but also, you know, get the experience. Um, you know, Nordic Ed is probably the biggest proponent uh, in the world when it comes to sailing education on experience. We really want people to, to you know, sh when, you, when you get a boat, you, you go out and then you go a little bit further and you stretch your wings and you keep stretching your wings until, you know, and you, then you do an overnight, then you do two overnights and then, you know, maybe you do like a week and a little bit further and then as you start to stretch your wings, you're gaining this experience and things are happening not too far away from home and then uh, you can start to do the things that, that Amy and Dave have done. Um, so, um, yeah, that's amazing, guys. What a what a great story that was. Yeah. Well, and and let's talk about the flip side of that. So that's kind of what the freakiest thing, you know, where you're in the Bermuda Triangle, everything blanks out, and you're going, we had to go through the Bermuda Triangle, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's the other side of it, the the unexpected moments of of pure bliss, right? Of beauty of total unexpected just surrealness uh could you give our listeners a sense maybe for for one of those experiences too the one that comes to my mind first and foremost is an experience we had in tonga we were in our second season in tonga and we were in the hapai group which is very remote islands um kind of a little bit more off the beaten sailing path and we're anchored 
on an island. Let me see if I can pronounce this correctly. Nukuhihafo. No, nope, I nope. don't think that's Dang it. it. <laughs> uh, Those islands are very difficult to pronounce. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So it's something like that. <laughs> and um, we, we've known this is this is July. It's peak. It's starting to be peak whale season. We've been seeing humpback whales all over the place, and we look behind us, and there's a whale not that far off of our stern, and we're thinking, well, that whale's been there a while, like what's going on? We're keeping an eye on it. It's not really moving. And then we get our drone up to go investigate and I get out in my kayak and that whale has just given birth. And there is a tiny, tiny little baby humpback whale. And the mom is lifting it up to breathe. And the dorsal fin is curled from coming through the birth canal. So it is just like that this moment that we've been so privileged to have happen right off of our boat and see something that no, hardly anybody gets to see. Wow. Have you got the drone shot on that? We, we do. do. Yeah, it's oh. one of my favorite shots we've gotten from the whole circumnavigation. I mean, that is definitely unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> and you just don't plan on seeing those things. and. and and for me at least you know when i'm out sailing and i'm out on the ocean the the things that i think i appreciate the most sometimes are a kind of a combination of the challenges and the the rewards that you get along the way because you don't get the rewards without being able to overcome the challenges absolutely and we are so fortunate in that there are a lot of rewards like even even a passage that's really hard we get beautiful sunsets we get dolphins we have to pick flying fish off our deck, you know, we get to cook these meals while underway. And, and there's a lot of peace and pleasure in that. I will say for me, some of my absolute favorite moments are just when you've got the sails just right, the boats humming along, the waves are, you know, not too big, but then it's a cloudless night, the moon's not up, and it's just stars from horizon to horizon. And it is just such a peaceful moment. You're out there on the ocean. It is just glorious. Yeah, that is a beautiful picture you just painted, mm-hmm. you know, and and really it's just the stuff that feeds the soul. And I, I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that that's why we sail, is to feed our soul. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's a fantastic way to grow. I mean, there's no way you can't if you're on a boat. Like, it is, it is inevitable. Right. But, but while you're out there, you know, feeding your soul, <laughs> um, <laughs> could you tell us, you know, you know, give our listeners an idea about, you know, how long it takes, you know, not in total, but, you know, the longest passage that you're doing, you know, between landfalls, you know, what did that look like? You know, where was that? You know, about how long did it take? So we had this, this great idea that we were going to basically <laughs> deliver our own boat from France and the passage we made, we got down to the Canary Islands and we went from Canary Islands straight to Miami which was 26 days mm-hmm. at sea. And that was like our third passage on the boat. And none of the other ones came anywhere as close to that long. Mm-hmm. So we got our longest one out of the way early. Um, and that that wasn't, that was by choice. We didn't have to go that long. You can stop in the Caribbean. I think our next longest passage was about 19 days. And that went from the Galapagos to the Marquesas. So there are definitely stretches where there's a long time out in the ocean, but 
you know, you just get in the groove. Like after the first couple days, you know, you get your sea legs under you and the boat is moving and uh, it just, you know, it, for me, the time just goes by so fast. Like we take off and then all of a sudden we're there. Yeah, I, I think we've done, I think it's 14 passages now of a thousand miles or more. And so once you hit, you know, once you hit it, even maybe even that 500 mile mark, like it starts to get, uh, you know, I hate to say boring, but <laughs> <laughs> if everything's going well, then yeah, it is fairly boring. You, yes, you've gotten your sleep and you get into your, into your schedule and your routine and you, um, we start to see each other more often because the first few days, if you're not on watch, you're always sleeping. Oh, I can imagine because, you know, someone's got to be at the helm. Someone's got to be on watch. You know, it's, it's you know, the, the right way to do things. I mean, and, you know, Grant and I are, are sailors, but we're also both pilots. And there's something they like to tell pilots all the time that's, you know, flying or, or in this case, sailing is 90% boredom with 10% sheer terror. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not an inaccurate ratio. (laughs) (laughs) So the watches, how did you organize the watches? Um, How many hours sleep um, each each round? We went a little unconventional. So I know a lot of people do three-hour watches or four-hour watches. Um, We tried that at the start, and I just found I was not getting enough sleep because by the time I would kind of come down off of being off watch and get ready for bed like I just it wasn't I wasn't sleeping well so we went to a system where I would go down to sleep at 7 p.m. and wake up at 2 a.m. and that was about our only fixed schedule so it was a long period of time where Amy was up on watch but it allowed me to get a long period of uninterrupted sleep and then um, when I would come up Amy would sleep in as long as she could so sometimes on the first couple days that might have been you know maybe she was up five hours or so but i think her record was sleeping until like noon or one o'clock one day so she had a pretty good pretty good sleep and then when she comes up i'll go down take a nap and then um depending on how she's feeling in the afternoon she'll take a nap as well so it it was for us it was about flexibility just you know who's if amy was feeling super tired and couldn't handle the the 7 p.m to 2 a.m she would come wake me up and that was always the rule like if you cannot keep awake then get the other person but Fortunately, that schedule worked out pretty well for us. Yeah, I think no matter what you do, the second night is just always going to be the worst because you don't sleep much the first night and you're not in your schedule yet. But once you settle in and get that second night over with, then it's that it gets a lot easier. And um, for me, staying up until 2 a.m. is not a problem. I mean, I have, well, in today's day of technology, we have plenty of ways to entertain ourselves. So, Well, and that's a good point. You know, technology these days with satellites, with, you know, connectivity, there, there are so many more options for people that are crossing oceans. And, you know, uh, before we kind of get to the wrap here, um, let's talk a little bit about energy management because, you know, this is, you know, a finite thing on, on board a, a vessel. You know, you only have so much fuel. Um, you only have so much in your batteries. Um, and, you know, obviously the wind will always be there to propel you. But everything else relies on these other units. And I understand recently you went through an upgrade, or maybe not recently, but I know that you had written about it, um, going from the AGM batteries over to lithium ions. How does that work for you? Oh, it was life-changing. And pretty much everyone we've talked to that's done that swap uh, swap, say the same thing, uh, almost verbatim. It's 
it is amazing what a difference um, the lithiums have, uh, primarily in terms of how fast they charge. So um, we had our boat set up. It's a 110 volt boat, you know, American boat. The generator um, uh, is the one that powers our water maker because the water maker is high capacity. So we kind of set up the boat that we were never going to be completely off grid. Like the solar panels were going to keep up with everything. The generator, when we were running it for the water maker, would be charging up the batteries. But with the AGMs, it just never got high enough. Um, we would get to that 85%, but it would never get them all the way to 100. The lithiums would be fully charged by the time we were done making water. And it was just absolutely amazing what a difference that made in terms of the overall battery longevity, the life, the use of energy on the boat was was a big difference. So we, you, you had less diesel you had to burn to do that then because they were faster, right? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, if, you're, if you're doing the AGMs properly, you should be getting them up to 100% on a fairly regular basis, but that requires hours and hours and hours of generator use to be able to do that. So the lithium was a, was a big swap for that. Now, that being said, there is still a very, very important part that like solar especially will play. Um, I'm a big proponent of solar. I think that's about the most cost effective power generation that you can have. Um, and you can you can never have enough solar. How many watts um, of solar did you have? So we have a little over a thousand watts of solar on the boat and uh, we are admittedly pretty heavy energy users between um, you know using our laptops for editing videos, writing, blogs, all of this stuff. Uh, we go through power quite a bit, but as I said, we kind of set up the boat with that in mind so that we knew the generator was gonna be able to charge up the batteries uh, whenever we made water. Right, and just to put that in perspective, it is about 300 watts per square meter, right? So you've got about three, three and a bit square meters of solar panels on your boat i'm gonna i'll take your word for that one i don't know yeah. all these square meters things you're talking oh. about uh, uh, well just, i don't know that we could tell you square feet either we've just never thought about it in terms yeah. of that yeah. <laughs> it's about 30 square feet um or you know meters close to a yard so three and a bit that's about right yards. so we, we designed our system so that they're all placed around various uh, spots on the coach roof for the boat so we don't have like a big arch over the the davits or something like that but um you know there's, there's lots of different ways to do it for sure yeah, awesome, awesome. Yeah, solar is definitely the way to go. Lithium is definitely the way to go. Yeah, and I just wanted to add that we did add a hydro generator in South Africa when we were there. Oh, sweet. And that's really helped us a lot with our battery management while we're underway because you're running so much um, of your electronics, your autopilot, et cetera, off of the batteries. And so we were struggling to keep our batteries topped up on passage. And now that we've got the hydro generator going, we are we are back to only running our generator to top up our water when we're underway. So we're we're operating pretty well um, without uh, without using diesel. And then just, just to uh, explain that hydro generator, it, it, the, the propeller turns as it goes through the water. And so you're pulling energy off that turning propeller. Yeah, that's correct, yep. All right, that's, that's awesome. What about windmill? So the wind, I've always had a little bit of a love-hate relationship with. Um, <laughs> some boats have very loud ones, hence the hate. Um, but, you know, we're, in general, we're also, for our sailing plans, we're going downwind. So you want to talk about, like, apparent wind speed and all that stuff? The apparent wind when you're sailing is going to be 
usually lower than what those wind generators like to produce peak power. And then when we're anchoring, we generally try to find anchorages that aren't going to be that windy, that are fairly protected. So um, I think they work very well in, in certain situations, but for the, the type of sailing in, that we were doing, um, I'm pleased with the, the choice to go with more solar. When we, when we return to the Caribbean and into Antigua, you know, you're back in these really strong trade winds and we're getting 15 to 20 knots of wind all day, every day at the boat. And so uh, wind, um, wind generator totally makes sense in that case. But when you're looking at places, when you're looking at sailing through Southeast Asia and the Indian Ocean, when you're spending a lot of time on the equator and there's absolutely no wind, it, it doesn't make as much sense. So for you, it's all about solar, efficient batteries, and that hydro generator to keep everything efficient while you're underway. Yeah, it's worked out quite well. Um, I will also say that if you can uh, upgrade to a high output alternator, so if you have to run your engines, that the batteries are getting a good charge as well. Uh, we did that upgrade um, in Australia at the same time for the lithium batteries, and that has also been quite nice. There's a new uh, technology that's just hitting the market that we're getting involved with. It's called the Integral uh, System, and it's um, when you say high output alternator, usually you're talking around about three kilowatts or so. Um, Integral will put out nine uh, kilowatts. Yeah. It's a pretty amazing device. So um, that's you're going to start seeing that more and more on the market uh, now as well. Well, uh, folks, you guys have talked a lot about efficiency, your distance traveled, places you visited. You know all of these incredible things, but doesn't it come at a cost you know and there is a cost involved in sailing around the world you know could you help our readers maybe or listeners here maybe understand um, what that cost is you know is it you know, do you have to be a millionaire to do this or, you know can you do this on a budget you know how, how does that work well there are certainly a lot of examples out there of people who are doing it on a huge variety of budgets i know that some people cruise on a few dollars a day and that's amazing and that's not something that we can accomplish. Um, our boat is quite large and so we have some additional expenses on, you know, for marinas and running diesel and things like that. Um, we have documented a lot of our cruising costs. We break it down by year and we talk about specifically the marine expenses that we've in, uh, encountered. So that would be our repair and maintenance costs, our costs for clearing into countries and formalities, communicating while we're offshore, things like that. I've written a, I have a blog post that, that talks about and breaks down all of that kind of stuff. And unfortunately my memory is not perfect. Um, but the wonderful thing about cruising is that you can cruise on any budget because there are cruisers out there that are doing it for very cheap. There are cruisers out there that are doing it for more than we are. And it's just a matter of what you're comfortable with. And we've been cruising at a, at a um, certain cost range, I suppose. And it's something that we're comfortable with. And we saved up quite a bit beforehand to be able to sail like this. Yeah, it's, it's about preparation. And you know, part of it is you know, securing your funds and making sure you've got what you need to be able to provide for yourself while you're out there. And, and you guys have done that. You know, um, what are your plans now? You know, you finished your circumnavigation back in March. So life on the hard treating you okay so far? You're ready to get back <laughs> out there. 
I feel like we're even busier on the hard now that we've been on oh the, my gosh. we're on the boat. So <laughs> um, I think in in general, like we would very much like to get one more season in. Uh, kind of without that, we talked about the pressure of having to be making long passages to stay ahead of weather. So we would love to go down and, and sail the Bahamas. Uh, we did briefly get through there on our first lap around, and we'd love to spend more time exploring some of those islands. And then after that, we'll just kind of have to see. So uh, you, there are multiple options. We didn't get a chance to go into the Mediterranean. Uh, we would love to go in and see that. The South Pacific was so amazing. We wouldn't mind going back there someday. <laughs> there's a lot of islands in the Caribbean we didn't get to. So, I mean, there's just so many options out there. There are basically just too many choices. <laughs> well, and that's the beauty of the world, right? Is we can't possibly see every place every time. So there's always more to go back and see. Absolutely. I mean, we could run through the the South Pacific and see completely different places, and that's that's amazing. Well, and also, as everybody knows, um, if you've been listening to these podcasts, my favorite uh, place is the Mediterranean. I love the Mediterranean. I could spend years and years and years there. So uh, you guys need to go to the Mediterranean next. You really, really, really do. Yeah. I was waiting. I was waiting for your Mediterranean testimonial. <laughs> you knew that was coming, huh? Yep. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about um, your blog and you know how people can get to it. We'll put a link on it um, as well on the on the podcast. But um, how do they get to your blog and, and and your YouTube channel? Certainly, our website is outchasingstars.com, and we are also active on Facebook and Instagram. And then David is working on our YouTube channel. We've had, let's see, we've done almost 150 episodes detailing our adventures. And um, I think currently we're publishing our videos from South Africa because we're a little bit behind, but we are going to be showing our last few legs of the world circumnavigation publishing here this month and next month. And then, yeah. So, uh, you did mention this earlier, but I, I, I'm feeling pretty proud about this because I know uh, lots of people watch sailing YouTube videos and it is absolutely amazing to me how much that kind of um, growth there has been in those channels. But I do think we are going to be the first one who will officially document an entire circumnavigation on YouTube and I'm, I'm pretty proud of that fact. Yeah, well done. You know, you, well, you should be. I mean, in the accomplishment itself and then the dedication to record it. You know, I mean, those <laughs> two things both take a lot of effort. Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> David spends, yeah. I mean, he's working full time now to crank out a video a week and try to get us caught up, which is, I really appreciate it. <laughs> Lots so of you, people ask about him, and I will say that uh, don't, don't do it for the money because you're not gonna, likely not going to make any money. But it is a wonderful way to record your adventures and be able to look back and say, oh, yeah, we did that. Like, we did see that calf being born in the middle of Tonga that we can remember forever. Uh, and that's that's what it's about. So if folks want to connect with uh, Dave and Amy, um, you can go to outchasingstars.com. And uh, your YouTube channel is also called Outchasing Out Stars. Is that right? That's yes, correct. that's correct. Wonderful. Well, before we wrap up here today, is there anything that you guys want to talk about that maybe we didn't touch on? Man, I tell you, you guys did a, a pretty good job. I, I'll just say again that, um, you know, we, we did quite a lot of work and preparation before we departed um, and bought our boat. You know, we did take educational courses. We got our captain's licenses. And so there was a lot of work and effort trying to build up our skills before we were comfortable and ready to set off on the circumnavigation. And all that work and preparation just meant that it was 
that much easier once we actually set off. So I, I, uh, I know you guys are doing a lot of excellent work helping people learn about sailing and um, you know get involved in, in this world. And uh, I definitely encourage people, like if they're interested in the life, trying to do some of that education first is a great way to get started. And I think that since we took off, there's been a big change in how where how future sailors are able to find their communities and learn more about sailing and experiences. And I know that one thing that's really been impactful for me is a Facebook group called Women Who Sail. And it is very positive and encouraging for increasing the number of women who are interested in sailing or um, interested in the sport of sailing. So to meet and, and I've been fortunate that I've met women all over the world um, as we've been sailing. And I participated in a conference and gave a presentation in Australia talking about my experiences. And it's a fascinating way to meet other women who are involved and encourage them because we we don't see as many women who are as passionate about it as I would like. And I, I want the women to be out there and driving the boat like I do. And um, <laughs> poor David never gets to drive the boat anymore. Um, but we, and, and I also have these experiences with running my own business um, prior to cruising. Uh, women captains were harder to find. And I, I wanna see more of that. I wanna see the women um, taking the helm. Oh, that is uh, a, a beautiful message, especially since we just interviewed uh, Amy Sinclair, which she'll be on an upcoming podcast, uh, mm. one of the chief officers of Women women Who Sail. Yes, exactly. I just saw that message. I think it was just announced this week, actually. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is awesome that you're involved with that group. They're, they're doing incredible work educating women, children, um, minorities, um, getting more and more people into the fold, obviously, with a strong focus on women. And uh, we do, we need more women in sailing. Uh, there's no reason that women can't do the same things guys do on these boats. You know, it's, it's not about brute force. It's about smarts. But if it comes down to brute force, the women tend to have it just in spades, just like the guys do. <laughs> yep. Well, guys, thank you for joining us today. You know, on, on behalf of myself uh, and Grant, I'd like to say thank you for joining us today. And we look forward to hearing about your uh, the rest of your adventure once you post it and learning more about what you guys are up to in the future. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate y'all having us. Thanks for having us, guys. Well, thanks for joining. Happy sales. Where do I sail on the sea?